0: John chapter 14 is a very familiar verse, very familiar passage. We're just going to be on verse 6 for a moment here. Uh, John chapter 14, verse number 6. Now I know all the the young people left, not going to call them kids, got yelled at once at a homeschool convention because I I said the word kids. She was like, they're not kids, they're children. Kids are animals. I said, okay, sorry, (laughs) back, sorry, back, children, Um, I I didn't mean your goat, you know, kids, but um, if you're a Star Wars fan at all, oh, even Mark's gone? I got nobody here. All right, Stephen, all right, represent. Um, you know about the Mandalorian. Uh, and the Mandalorian is this bounty hunter in Star Wars, in the Star Wars, you know, lore. And there are, see, there are a bunch of people called the Mandalorians, and, 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 and they live by a certain code. And the Mandalorian lives by a code that he'll often repeat to himself and others. This is the way. This is the way. And the this in that code, this is the way, is an impersonal pronoun that refers to a thing, like this seat, this car, this house, all right? Uh, and the emphasis for the Mandalorian is on a process, a path you must follow. This is the way. Something you wear, something you do, something you exercise but look at John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. So the Christian has a Christ he lives by. Jesus Christ saying, I am the way. And I is a, <laughs> I is. All right, my English teacher inside is twitching. I is a personal pronoun. Referring to the sole speaker of this blessed truth. Nobody else. I am the way. And the emphasis for the Christian is on a person you're expected to follow. And for the Christian, the answer to every aspect of our lives is, Jesus is the way. Every aspect of our lives. Notice he doesn't say, the way to this, the way to that. He just makes a blanket statement, I am the way. That's pretty wild. You want to be a better friend? Jesus is the way. You want to be a better Christian? Jesus is the way. You want to be a better anything? You just want to be better? Jesus is the way. If you want to be saved, Jesus is the way. If you want to be sanctified and serve the Lord, guess what? Jesus is the way. Thanks, Josh. The Christian does not have a code. All right? He has a Christ. It's not a process. It's a person. We don't need to simply repeat the mantra. We need to remember the message, Jesus is the way. And that's the message, Jesus is the way. And we're going to dive into just two things about that. We'll go, it's going to sound like we're going down deep, but we're actually just talking about Bible doctrine that gets so lost because we come out of religion, and then we become so religious, We say, oh, this religion, these rites, these rituals, these do's, these don'ts, that's not the way to God. You need Jesus Christ. Then you get Jesus Christ. I was like, I got to do this. I got to do that. And I can't do this. And I can't do that. And you just traded one religion for the next. When it was never a religion, it was a relationship. It was never a process. It was always a person. And if you could just get lost in that person and find that person, you find the way to whatever it is you need. So let's pray and we'll jump in here. Lord, we love you today. Thank you, Lord, for just who you are. Thank you that you were a person that died on that cross, and you're a person now with minds and thoughts and feelings towards us. Lord, you're looking in on us. And I pray, Lord, you look down on us today and give us understanding. Touch our hearts and our minds that we might just have a deeper understanding of what you want from us, what our walk should be like, and how we can just get closer to you and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Point number one. Jesus... Is the way of salvation. That's pretty easy to know. John 14:6, "I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me." The Bible's so hard to understand. That's not hard to understand. <laughs> That's pretty simple. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No sinner, even your grandma, can approach a holy God without Jesus Christ. Ain't happening. The dirty sinner is over here on one side and our holy God is over here on the other side. And we're separated. We're not connected. We can't get in contact with each other because you're dirty from your filthy sins and that's what they are. They're filthy and they're dirty. And over here, God is holy and impeccable and unspotted from any of the world and any of that stuff and he will not have fellowship with sin and you probably didn't want to have fellowship with God when you were living in the pig pen like that. So there you are separated and the Bible says in Isaiah 59, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have created this gulf and between the dirty sinner and a holy God is an impassable gulf that no man can span. That's where you were without Jesus Christ, and that's where you are sitting here right now without Jesus Christ. If you don't have Jesus Christ, if you're not saved as the Bible describes it, God is not your father, you're not a good person, you're not going to heaven, you are separated from God. And it's not just like, oh, I'll stay separated from God. That separation results in hellfire. Because this side of the cliff over here is one day is going to burn down and just be taking you to hell. So it's not like, oh, I'll just stay over here because I don't like God. No, the party in hell has been canceled due to fire. So there's no like party going on. That separation results in damnation. And so the sinner needs a Savior to get him a cross. So Jesus Christ died on a cross, <laughs> to make a way for the sinner and God to be joined together again. You see that? That cross bridges that gap. And that cross, that's why it is a cross, because you cross that cross, and that cross allows God, who's holy, and a sinner, who's not, to be reconciled, to be made one again, to be able to fellowship again, like God always wanted to. And if you want to be saved and reconciled to God, Jesus is the only way. Now, I don't preach into the proverbial choir, but we're going to go down a little bit deeper, so put your scuba gear on. Let's go to Habakkuk. If you find it fair first, you win nothing. But Habakkuk chapter 2, which is in the Old Testament, which is our two books away from our Thursday night Bible study. We did Micah, then we have Nahum and Habakkuk. So if you got your pen or your pencil right there in Micah, because you were with us on Thursday, you can just flip right over to Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2, verse 4. This is Old Testament now, right? This is God summarizing Old Testament salvation before the cross. He says, Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. But the just, meaning the justified, that's an Old Testament word for saved, shall live by, please watch it, please note it, his faith. The just shall live by his faith. Because follow me now. In the Old Testament, the sinner was justified by his faith, his faithfulness, his endurance, his continuation. Because in the Old Testament, the sinner had to keep offering sacrifices and keep covering his transgressions. It was like a, a payment plan. He had to keep making payments to stay in good standing with God. Hebrews 10.1 says, sacrifice or talks about sacrifices which they offered year by year continually they had to keep offering keep coming keep doing it why because the atonement was not complete the sinner had to maintain good standing with God you got me so far Amen. Had to keep making those payments Had to keep making those payments Had to keep making those payments because it wasn't finished yet because Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross yet and like it sounds like some big religions I know about today there's a big religion out there that today that says, you need to die in a state of grace. Anybody know about that big religion? It's a big religion out there. They say, you don't know for sure. you got to die in a state of grace. Well, wrong dispensation. In the Old Testament, yeah, you had to die in a state where there was no enmity between you and God, where things were okay between you and God so your soul wasn't cut off. But not today. Because that, that sacrifice is finished. That sacrifice is complete. Now go to Romans 1. Remember, look at Hebrews, look at Habakkuk 2, 4 again. Remember it said, the just shall live by his faith. Now let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, and let's see the change God makes to that verse. Romans 1, look at verse 16. Romans 1:16. You with me? Say amen. amen. Fantastical. Amen. All right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's why we stand out signs on the street corner, right? Just to remind ourselves. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for therein, meaning the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, Watch it now, meaning like from the Old Testament faith to the New Testament faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see the change? In the New Testament, he took the word his out. In the New Testament, the sinner is not justified by his own faith. He's justified by Christ's faith. Jesus is is the way. Notice how the Holy Spirit eliminates the word his when quoting Habakkuk. Why? Because in the New Testament, it's not the sinner's faith that saves him. It's the Son of God's faith. Let's explain. Go to Romans chapter 3. Let's explain. I'll explain why. I'm not, I'm not being Calvinistic at all. God knows if I was, I'd probably shoot myself with a lightning bolt. right? <laughs> Romans 3.19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let me translate that for you. If you think that giving money to the poor, or going to church, or not cursing out your grandma this week, if you think that those good deeds are what get you to heaven, you're smoking crack. Right, that's basically what that verse says in the vernacular. It just says, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified. All the law does is show you that you're a sinner. Right? The analogy was given by my pastor many years ago. If you stood in front of an MRI machine to diagnose a problem, you're crazy to think the MRI machine is going to save you or fix that problem. All that MRI machine does is show you the problem. And the Bible says the law magnifies sin. The Bible says... Uh, It makes sin exceeding sinful. When you look at those Ten Commandments that says, let's start with the first one. Have no other gods before me. When you think about how many things you love and put ahead of God, you realize, wow, I'm a great sinner. When you see the Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness, and you think about how many lies you've told, you go, wow, I'm a big sinner. When you think about when it says... um, uh, uh, let me pick another one. Uh, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus says, if you look upon someone with lust, you commit adultery. You say, wow, I'm a big sinner. So the law doesn't help us. It just leaves us helpless before a holy God in need of a cure. Keep reading. 21. But now, see that but now? Got to watch those but nows in your Bible. But now, the righteousness of the God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Watch this now very carefully. I am an English teacher, so I'm going to get hung up on some pronouns. Or some prepositions, I should say. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all, sorry Calvin, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, that verse 22 says that when you believe, you get the faith of Christ. All right? That preposition of means it's possessive. If I say that's the house of Mario, I'm saying that's Mario's house. Right? The pen of Kristen. That's Kristen's pen. The faith of Christ is not the faith in Christ. Okay? We're in this building, but we're not of this building. All right? All right? It's not the faith in Christ, it's the faith of Christ. And it's offered to all, hallelujah, but it's upon all them that believe. It gets imputed to you, it gets given to you, it gets attributed to you. So, are you with me so far? When you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you actually receive Christ's faith as a substitute. You know why? Because your faith is fickle. Right? If you believing was what got, if you holding on to your faith is what got you to heaven, you would have fallen a thousand times. How many times do we walk out of church with a prayer promise or a Bible promise under our sleeve and we're like, yeah, I'm going to go tackle the world? You haven't made it to the car before the devil has stolen your joy. You, then, you walk in a house and the fretting and the fear is just right back where it was before. And you're like, where's that verse? Where's that verse? You know what? Because your faith stinks your faith is fickle your faith fails you, right it's, it's kind of like I, th- I was thinking about Peter Pan you know when Peter Pan was trying to teach those kids in Neverland how to fly you sprinkle some dust and you just gotta believe and you gotta believe and you gotta believe and then you, know, you lift off and you see in those movies and sometimes those comics and those cartoons sometimes they fly because they believe and sometimes they fall because they stop believing right they turned the journey song off and they did stop believing right <laughs> it's kind of like Peter walking on the water He's doing okay for a little bit when he's looking at Jesus Christ and he's trusting, he's believing that he can do the impossible. But you know what happens after a few moments? He gets his eyes off of Christ and he gets distracted by the waves and he starts to sink. That's a beautiful illustration of your faith. Sometimes you're like walking on water. Sometimes, many times, you fail and you falter and you fall. You need a faith that always trusts God. That never changes. You need a faith that can be a rock and be your substitute. So even though your faith fails, his faith never failed, and you're on the rock. So you're okay. Go to uh. So Jesus is the way because he can walk on the water without fearing the waves and without falling. Look at chapter... Uh, go to Galatians chapter 2. Give me another one on this. It's all over Paul's writings. We just miss it because we're just, we, we see what we want to see or we're just inundated by our Christian religion sometimes. Galatians 2.16. <clears throat> Knowing that a man... Now, remember, Galatians is written to a religious crowd. The book of Galatians is written to a bunch of people that were getting infiltrated by religious people. They were saved by grace... And then these Judaizers, these, these, these Jewish converts who were trying to mix the law and grace together, they kind of said, well, you've got to kind of keep the law now if you really want to impress God. Even though you're saved by grace, you know, you've got to keep the law now to live that Christian life, and it's by works. Your living is by works. And the people got all screwed up. So keep that in mind. That's the context of the book. So Paul writes in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by, watch this now, watch this very carefully, by the faith of Jesus Christ, now watch this, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You see why English teachers like me like the Bible? You see why it's important not to change a single word of the Bible? Because there's two prepositions in that verse, of and in, which change the whole meaning of the verse. You believed in Christ that you might be justified by the faith of Christ. What is that all about? Well, you believed in the faith that belongs to Jesus Christ, the Savior who always believed God. I'll use my famous analogy. You couldn't fly to Hawaii, so you believed in the plane that is the way to Hawaii. You put your belief in that plane, and that, that plane was able to get there. You can't get to heaven. You're not strong enough. You couldn't believe hard enough, but you put your belief and your confidence and your trust in the Savior whose faith never changes, whose sacrifice is complete, who's always perfect, and he's the one that's going to get you to heaven. You're with me so far. Go to Galatians chapter 3, look at verse 21. Verse 21. I'm give you some good heresy. Galatians 3.21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily, righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all, even you, yes, under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them That believe. You believed in a faith that was bigger than you. That moment of belief, like a thief on the cross, that moment of belief, that moment of reaching out, opens the door for Christ to give you his faith that never changes and acts as your substitute to get you to heaven. The law was a conditional, temporary covering until Jesus Christ cried, it is finished. When Jesus Christ cried, it is finished, we didn't need the law anymore. And under the law, the sinner had to endure. The sinner had to keep coming because what? His faith would fail. On Tuesday, he brings that lamb or that dove or that turtle dove, whatever it is. You know what? He gets things right with God. And then on Wednesday, he's a knucklehead again. So then on Thursday, he has to find something from his flock and he has to bring it back because his faith was like this. His walk with God was like this. His trust was like this. But under grace, the sinner is given the gift of Christ's Faith that never fails, and it's imputed to you once for all, forever. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see an unbeliever who goes up like this. He sees Christ's faith as your substitute. Jesus is the way. Go to to the next book, Ephesians 2. Let's read this one real close, too. Read it real slow and real close. Because a verse we quote a lot, but just read it real close with me. I'll talk to you about antecedents in a second. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace, we all know this verse, probably quoted. We got it on signs. It's a great verse. Great verse. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, I know, I know it's like about salvation, but let's be real precise. The that in that verse goes back to the faith. So the gift is not just salvation, the gift is the faith of Christ that brings you salvation. So I'm not really changing it totally, but what I'm saying is, if you want to be real specific about it, when you believe God gives you the faith of Christ and through that faith that's imputed to you, you get to go to heaven. It's not your faith, it's his faith that was given to you as a gift. Now, do you see why you could never earn your salvation? Do you see now why, I mean, you know, I know we got scores of people, maybe somebody's sitting here today, I don't know, but we got scores of people out there that are thinking that going to church, being good, helping grandma with the groceries across the street and all that stuff, that that's somehow going to appease God. Do you see from the Bible how, and I don't mean this to be crude, but how utterly ridiculous that is? Anybody that's read the Bible, seriously, in any depth, and that's not super deep, but anybody's read the Bible, the idea of working your way to heaven is like farcical. It's like that's like trying to say, I'm going to fly to Hawaii. That's really what it's like. How are you going to get to Hawaii? I'm going to fly. You're going to fly? Yeah, I'm, just, I'm working on it. I, got my, I get my 10 pounds in my each arm, and I'm building up to 15s, and pretty soon I'll get enough resistance going. No, you can't fly to Hawaii, but Jesus Christ can fly to Hawaii. Amen. Right? That's what my faith is in. So that's ridiculous. But you know what else is ridiculous also? In the New Testament, under grace, in the church age, do you also understand why you can never lose your salvation? It's the same thing. On the salvation side, if you could earn it, why did he die? We like that expression. But if it wasn't yours to begin with, how do you lose it? I know your faith fails, and sometimes you don't look anything like a Christian. But my faith is not in me and my walk. My faith is in the one whose faith never changes. I believed in Christ. So Jesus is the way. You say, well, I let him go, and I walked away. He doesn't let you go because you're a part of his body. You're a part of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That's what it says in Ephesians when talking about the body of Christ. It doesn't say that in Matthew. It doesn't say that in Mark. It doesn't say that in Hebrews. That's why it's important to rightly divide the word of truth and what God is doing in this dispensation called the gospel of the grace of God. He's doing something unique in time. That he didn't do in Isaiah and he didn't do in Revelation. He's doing something now where he's making people a part of the body of Christ. The people in Matthew were not a part of the body of Christ. Isaiah was not a part of the body of Christ. Moses was not a part of the body of Christ. Jeremiah was not a part of the body of Christ. The people in tribulation times are not a part of the body of Christ. you got to get that. You are a part of the body of Christ. That's a unique dispensation. That's a unique plan. Jesus is the way of salvation. He's your substitute. He's your all in all. But let's go a little further now. Let's go, let's circle the wagons now and do our second point, right? Jesus is also the way of sanctification. Think about it, folks. If Jesus is the way for you before the cross, Jesus is the way for you after the cross. That's what we forget. That's where we, like, you know, my brother joked about our Baptist cousins. That's where we pick up our, our good Baptist or our good religious or our good Christianity. We pick up our Christianity. We just think now, well, now I've got a new religion called Christianity. We wouldn't say that, but we live like that. We live like it depends on how we do, what we do, our performance. We knew our performance couldn't get us into heaven, but now our performance and our do's and our don'ts, don't you know? Don't smoke. Don't chew. Don't go with girls that do, and all those silly things we say about ourselves. Right? Oh, we're not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I wouldn't look at this. I wouldn't do that. And we think that's somehow appeasing God. That never pleased God. Amen. What did He always say? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Amen. Are you found in Him, not having your own righteousness? Amen. That's how you're always going to please God, before the cross and after the cross. The less of you, and the more of Him. Amen. For the lost. Jesus is the way of victory over sin and death and hell. Amen? Amen? Well, for the saved, Jesus is the way to victory over everything in the Christian life. He is the way. Watchman Nee said it this way. Long-lasting victory can never be separated from a long-lasting stand on the foundation of the cross. He said the cross that saved you is the cross that's going to keep you. The cross that helped you out of hell is the cross that's going to help you on to heaven. If Jesus needed a cross to save your soul, you need a cross to save your life. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. <clears throat> Flip back to Galatians 5. I know this is going to sound like spooky and mystical, but it's not. I'll try to like make it as practical as I can. Galatians 5.24. Galatians 5.24. And they that are Christ's, are you Christ's? Amen. Okay. And they that are Christ's have, past tense, crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. You see, what is that verse about? That verse is a doctrinal account of your co crucifixion with Christ. That when he put Christ on the cross and he put you into Christ, his death counted as your death. Amen. That's pretty wise, don't you think? He said, how, how did God take a crucifixion over 2,000 years ago about and make it relevant to you? Well, he had to spiritually take you out of here and put you over there. He put you into the body of Christ, and his death is your death. And they that have, right, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. That doesn't mean people say, well, that means you never sin again after you're saved. That's not what that means. That means that you are crucified with him. Now doctrinally, you're as good as dead to God in terms of your lust. As far as God is concerned, you're dead with Christ. That's why He could save you and take you to heaven because you're dead with Christ. I can't judge you. You've already been judged. Your sins have already been judged in Christ. I can't judge you. I can't send you to hell. There's no double jeopardy with God. Your sins have already judged. You you died with Christ. Okay, you can enter in because you died with Christ. Is that deep? That's not deep. That's Bible. It's right there. It's all over Paul. Notice I'm all over Paul's writings because Paul's the one giving us the blueprint for the New Testament body of Christ. I'll go to Galatians 2.20, which is to the maybe left, a couple of pages. So Galatians 5 is a doctrinal account. It's a summary of what God did for you. Galatians 2.20 is different. Now Paul steps back as a person, as a follower, as a believer, as a disciple, and says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, just like before, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's not a doctrinal account. That is a personal application of your co-crucifixion with Christ. There's an apostle saying, here's what God did for me. Now I'm going to reckon it to myself. Here's what God did for me. Here's the spiritual operation that God enacted the moment I believe. Now I need to lay hold of that. Now I need to think about that. Now I need to live in light of that. You see that, people? The best thing you need to do once you've gotten saved is read your Bible, believe what you read, and have a relationship with God. I could give you a book that says don't do this, go to church. I know all those things are important to do, but it's kind of like getting a cart before the horse right? We always want to treat the symptoms and never the cause, right? We want to get to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is you're crucified with Christ. Now live in light of that. Amen. And that'll change what you do with your time, what you do with your mouth, what you let go through your eyeballs, what you get, let you go through your ears, what you do with your hands, where you go at your feet. If you would reckon every day, I am crucified with Christ, I am crucified with Christ, and my life isn't even mine now, it's Christ living in me, that changes your deeds, Instead of a list that says, go to church, read your Bible three times a day, pray twice. you know That's good, but that's trying to give you like a a pill or a vitamin or something instead of getting at the cause and the relationship that God's trying to foster. Galatians 5.24, I'm just going to look at it again. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. The only way for God to save your soul was to include you in Christ's death. See, when you got saved, you didn't know this was happening. You just thought, I'm a sinner. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to die. Like Isabella a few weeks ago, I don't want to, you know, I want to get saved. And that's what I was like, right? I, it was very similar. I, did, I had a fear of death. I was worried about it. I thought every night I was going to die and wake up in hell. It really consumed me for many weeks and a, a month or so until God brought the gospel to me by his grace and his mercy. And he's saying right there, but when you got saved, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like having an operation. Right? You go to have surgery and operation, uh, you sign some disclaimer, some consent, and you don't really read it. I've signed a lot of consents for Christian. Now that he's 18, he has to sign his own consents, right? And it's just like, yeah, this is the consent, okay. And you don't know exactly what the surgeon's going to do. You just know he's going to do something that's going to help you. And when you got saved, it was like that. You gave your consent, Lord save me. And once you gave that consent, he said, all right. He rolled up his sleeves, he scrubbed up, and he went to work. And he did a whole bunch of stuff that we couldn't spend the whole year trying to explain and unpack. But God, the Bible talks about the operation of God, and he was doing all this stuff that you had no idea. And one of those things that a big part of what he was doing when you called on Christ was, the Holy Spirit came in, cut you out of Adam, and put you into the body of Christ the moment you believed on Christ. And his death became your death. And his burial became your burial his resurrection became yours resurrection. And the fact that you're dead with Christ means dead men don't have any of their old lusts. Amen. They're crucified. They're dead. Hey, you won't hear any cat calls walking through a cemetery, ladies. Nobody's going to whistle and say, hey, honey, what are you doing? Ain't going to happen. They're dead. Dead men don't desire the things of the world anymore. Dead men don't worry or fret about the cares of this life anymore. Dead men don't do anything to be ashamed of. They're nailed to a cross. You see how you got to appropriate that? Live in light of that? Live in the shadow of that? Now, Galatians 2.20 is Paul trying to bring that home for himself. He's saying, I am. I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Because the only way, that was to save your soul, God had to put you into Christ. But the only way to save your life then, God had to include you in Christ's death to save you. But the only way to save your life is to identify with Christ's death. We use that word today. How do you identify? I'm a zebra, right? I'm a ladder. I'm a 6 7 power forward who can dunk. I'm yet to get my contract from the Knicks, right? They could use a 6 7 power forward that can dunk, right? But I mean, that's how it is, right? We throw the word identify around. How do you identify? As a Christian, how are you supposed to identify? I don't just be like, oh, I'm a Christian. I get that. But specifically, you identify with a crucified Christ. You identify that I am crucified with Christ. What's your identify? What's your identity? I am crucified with Christ. What's your pronoun? I am crucified with Christ, right? Use whatever pronoun you want. He is crucified, they is crucified, Z is crucified, whatever it is. As long as you mean, I am crucified with Christ. That's how you identify as a Christian, like Paul, you see the example. Paul said, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He said, I'm a, I'm a pattern for you, he said. I'm a model for you. You know what Paul's doing? I'm crucified with Christ. I'm not a Pharisee anymore. I'm not a Jew under the law anymore. It's not about my righteousness. It's not about my good works. It's not about my effort for God. I am dead. I am dead. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And that's what you've got to be like Paul. Jesus is the way before And after the cross. Before salvation, Jesus Christ had to die. After salvation, you have to reckon yourself dead with Him. Romans chapter 6. We just got two stops left, believe it or not. Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 8. Romans 6. Now, ready? You there? Romans 6, verse 8. I want you to see it, because you know, I'm not making this up. I'm not pulling a fast one on you. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we establish that, right? Now, if that's true, if you're crucified with Christ, if you're dead with Christ, he says, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing, you've got to know some things, that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, even though some people like to repeat it every Sunday, He doesn't die anymore, right? Death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once. But in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Here it comes now, ready? That's the doctrine, here's your deeds. Likewise, right? We like to use these words, Let's turnkey this. You know, you know, you go to these meetings, I'm sure Matt's twitching right now, you know. They do an initiative, you know. Can you turnkey this for your people and your staff? You know, yes, I'll turnkey this. Yes, let's turnkey. I'll take the key and I'll turn it so you could see well, what it means for you. But let's Paul's gonna turnkey it now. And he says, likewise, now he's gonna turn it on you. Reckon ye also yourselves. To be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ne- let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. He's saying the secret to victory. I'm going to give it to you. You say, Pat, give us a secret. Give us a nugget. Give us something like the like the TV preachers do. Give us something like you know, like a one liner. You know, okay, friends. All right, here it is. The secret to victory is not investing in a process, but identifying with a person. That's the secret of the Christian life. Not invest. I gotta do this, and I gotta do that, and I gotta, and I gotta. No, 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 no. You don't have to do anything. You have to be, or someone has to be through you, and then you'll do the things that you should be, or that you should do, right? Now, to reckon is the word in verse uh, 11. To reckon means to count. It's it's an accounting word. To take account of, to look upon and evaluate, to esteem. Brethren, God did all the work to give you this glorious doctrinal position. He did that all. Now, if you want victory, you need to make a personal application. You need to let this great doctrine of co-crucifixion affect your deeds and live In the light of the cross, I'm crucified. I'm dead. Christ liveth in me. I was saved by the faith of God. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Jesus is the way. I'm not trying to be too mystical here. Go to Colossians chapter 3. I'll try to get a little more practical. Colossians chapter 3. We'll stop in Colossians, by the way. This will be our last stop. Colossians 3 verse 1. Colossians 3, 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, are ye? You? If you're saved, you are. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are, that's all of you, he's saying, not just the pastor, not just the missionary, that ye means all of you, Colossians. For ye are dead. Present tense, you're dead. Right now, ye are dead. That's not past tense, that's present tense. That's I am crucified, present tense. Ye are dead, present tense. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. You see, you want to know how you start to do this? You start changing what you love. You start seeking different things. And when you start seeking different things, you start to get different appetites. Like Aaron said, you stop listening to worldly music for a week, guess what? The, the taste starts to fall out of your ears. Amen. You stop looking at the wrong stuff for a while, and guess what? The, the longing falls out of your eyes. Amen. And you've got to kind of like start seeking, and that's because you're dead. You don't have, you, you're not supposed to have those lusts anymore. And you have to keep identifying with that dead Christ, that, that crucified Christ, to help you get a break of those things and a victory over those things. It's identification that helps you now. And if you're crucified with Christ, then Christ is your life. Not a part of your life. He is your life. We say make Jesus part of your life. That's like saying make oxygen part of your lungs. Right? You don't live without it. He is your life. I'm repenting even now as I'm saying these things. Because it's so right there hiding in plain sight But how little we appropriate this. We live in our own strength. We do things by our own power. We think God's pleased with us. He says, I was never pleased with you to begin with. I'm pleased with my son. Can you kind of identify more and more with him? Because you know who living inside of you is? Living inside of you now is the greatest husband, the greatest friend, the greatest lover... The greatest worker, the greatest minister that ever could be. You say, I want to be a better husband. Jesus is the way. I want to be a better wife. Jesus is the way. I want to be a better friend. Jesus is the way. I want to be a better Christian. Jesus is the way. I want to be a better soul winner, whatever that means. Jesus is the way. I want to be a better whatever. Jesus is the way. I want to be a better hockey player. Jesus is the way. I want to be a better nurse. Jesus is the way. He is the way. Nothing after it. He's the way. You identify with him and that, li- that life. Listen, if that's true, do you want to be a better husband or wife? Amen. Want to be a better father or mother? Amen. Want to be a better friend or neighbor? Amen. Want to be a better citizen or, or, or minister? You want to be better at anything? Guess what? Jesus is the way. Amen. You say, what does that all mean? Well, if that person is living inside of you, you just got to get out of his way. It's not like he's sitting there like give a, giving you a laundry list of things to do. Do this, do that. He's like, no, no, no. Who shall deliver, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's said by an apostle saved under grace and washed in the blood and the body of Christ. And Paul's looking at his life and going, the good that I would, I do not, and evil which I would not that I do. He's like, man, I find then a law that I when I would do good, evil is present with me. Hey, am I preaching to anybody? I'm trying to do right, and I keep doing wrong. I'm trying to go the right way, and I keep going the wrong way. I want to think the right thoughts, and I keep—I'm I keep thinking the wrong things. It's like, what is wrong with me? The Bible says, "I thank my God through Jesus Christ our Lord." Amen. You die to self, Lord. Just get me out of the way, and His life is lived out through you. It's not what you do; it's what He does through you. It's a subtle difference, but profound. Think about this. Colossians 3.5 says, given all that, given the fact that he's your life, given the fact that he's coming back for you, given the fact that you're identified with him, what's the conclusion, what's the practical application is Colossians 3.5, mortify therefore your members. He says, because that's true, die, not literally, die. Mortify, mortuary, mortal, it means life. Mortify, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Verses one to four. Christ is our life. Christ is coming back. Your life is here with Christ as God. If that's true, if you really believe that, like the Bible says, because you're a King James, premillennial, rightly dividing, Bible believer, bless God. I believe the cover, and he I believe cover to cover, even the cover, amen. Right? All that stuff. All these things we say, but don't really live. If we really lived that verse, we'd be a different people. I'd be a different person. I'd have a very different walk. And something deep down in me wants it so bad, like panting for water for a thirsty soul. So panteth, so I panteth after God. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. What are your members? You know what your members are? Your hands. So how do you make it practical? Your hands want to touch something they shouldn't touch. And you reckon, wait a minute, I'm dead with Christ. Dead men don't touch that. Your eyes want to look at someone or something that they shouldn't be. You know what you say to yourself? You reckon, hey, I'm dead with Christ. Dead men don't look at things like that. Your heart entertains passions and ideas and worries, and thoughts, and lusts that dead men don't have anymore. You say to yourself, wait a minute, I'm dead. Let that noise just play in the background. I'm dead. I'm not supposed to entertain those things anymore. My mouth wants to let something fly that I shouldn't let fly. How do I stop it? I tie my tongue to my teeth? No. Hey, I'm dead with Christ, dead men don't talk like that my feet want to carry me to places that i know i shouldn't go to what do i do lock myself up in a monastery and drink butterfly sweat for the rest of my life that's what religion does right just remove all the stuff just get rid of all the stressors just you know that's not it folks that's religion you got to walk in a world that's wicked. You've got to go to work with people that are wicked. What are you supposed to do? You can't run off to a monastery somewhere. You can't isolate yourself, but you can insulate yourself. You insulate yourself with the truth. that wait a minute. I'm dead with Christ. I'm a dead man. Let me reckon that. Let me appropriate that. Let me esteem that highly enough to do something with it. Let me lay hold of that. Wait a minute. Dead men wouldn't go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to yield to the Holy Spirit saying, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. You know what drops out of your life when that happens? A whole bunch of bad stuff. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Then he talks about stuff. He talks about anger and, verse 8, anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy communication, lying in verse 9. He says all these things, you're dead. Leave them dead and reckon." If a Christ like that is living inside of you, all you need to do is die. That's the secret of the Christian life. You need to take up your cross and die and let Christ's life live through you. And if Jesus is the way, all you need to do is die and get out of the Savior's way. We don't like that. It doesn't sound as tangible. It doesn't sound as easy. We want to do the three easy steps, give an altar call, run the aisles, and now I'm going to bongo-bongo land right? Did you get called to preach, Aaron, up at camp, right? But we want to do the three easy steps to being a perfect Christian and just repeat as often as necessary. You know, I do this, this, and this, and repeat, 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 repeat. No, we have to die to ourselves and let the perfect Christ live his life through us. It's different. It's not I'm going to be perfect for Christ, it's let me die to myself and let the perfect Christ have the reins of my heart and my life. And if you're dead, Jesus is the way, and you don't have to worry so much. Because if you're dead with Christ, you are free indeed. You don't have to be perfect, He's perfect through you. Isn't that a blessing? And if Christ lives in you, what peace you can experience. Lord, this is, I'm giving it to you, I'm dead. Lord, it's on you, Lord. It's, it's your life. Christ liveth in me. I can't do this, Lord. You've got to live this out through me. I'm dead. I can't be the father I need to be. I can't be the friend I need to be. I want to, Lord. I'm going to put myself aside, Lord, and you just live your life out through me. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary, the China Inland Mission, the 19th century. He wrote a great book called The Spiritual Secret. I highly recommend it. He was so devoted that when he was in England... He ate bread and butter, I think, for a year just to learn how to live poor so he'd be ready for the mission field. You couldn't rival Hudson Taylor's devotion. You couldn't rival Hudson Taylor's commitment. You couldn't rival Hudson Taylor's zeal for God. He literally, you know, turned things upside down when he got there. It took him a while, but there's still a remnant there of Christianity for people like Hudson Taylor. Lived among the people, lived as a Chinaman and walked with them and talked with them and ate with them. And he says in in his writings, and he talks about the rest, Full identification with Christ brings. And this is him speaking. He says, I am no longer anxious about anything as I realize that he is able to carry out his will for me. It does not matter where he places me or how. That is for him to consider, not me. For, it is, for in the easiest positions, he will give me grace. And in the most difficult ones, His grace is sufficient. So, if God places me in great perplexity, must he not give me much guidance? In positions of great difficulty, much grace. In circumstances of great pressure and trial, much strength. Now, you must think that Hudson Taylor sat on the couch eating, you know, dumplings. No. He says, as to my work, mine was never so plentiful, so responsible. Or so difficult, but the weight and strain are all gone. His resources are mine, for he is mine. All this springs from the believer's oneness with Christ. He dropped the mic right there. Colossians 2 6, last verse. As ye have received Christ Jesus, therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. As means in the same way. In the same way you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Remember when you got saved? Somebody probably told you that there's nothing you could do to save yourself that you have to come to the end of yourself and put your faith and trust in Christ, and when he did, and he'll do everything for you because he did the work he said it is finished, or something like that, you put your confidence in that, and you got saved. The Bible says the same coming to the end of yourself that saved you is the same coming to the end of yourself that must characterize your walk. Lord, I can't be good enough. Lord, I can't be consistent enough. Lord, I can't be perfect enough. Lord, I can't be committed enough. I come to the end of myself, Lord, and I ask you, by your faith and your power, to live your life through me. Your best life now is his life through you. That's the secret. And if you believed in his person with your soul, why not trust him with your life? Paul said, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See that? I'm alive by the faith of the Son of God. The faith of Christ saves your soul, and the faith of Christ can save your life if you yield, get out of the way, let him have full control, surrender, submit. Either way, whether it's salvation you need today or sanctification you need today, Jesus is the way. So, do you remember the day you trusted Jesus as the way of salvation? Amen. Can you go back to that day? Can you go back to that day? If you can't, maybe you're not saved. You may have, I don't know exactly. I, I personally, I don't remember exactly what the date was. I kind of know the time of year it was because I signed every tract I looked at and every Gospel of John I was given. I signed all of them just to make sure I really stuck, really took, and it really stuck, and I was really in. Uh, but uh, I know it was around the spring of 1998. I know where I was. I know when I was. Do you? You you might not remember the exact day, but do you know where you were, when you were, when you called on Christ to save you? Are you saved? Yeah. Well, how'd you get saved? Well, you know, I've been going to church, and I, I, I like the preaching, and that's not salvation. Well, my parents are Christians. I've always gone to church. I was baptized. That's not salvation. Do you remember the day you came to the end of yourself and trusted the way of salvation? If so, you're saved. If not, you're not saved yet. Today could be that day. You could make today the day. I think July 23rd is a great day to get saved, don't you? If there's anybody like that here today, would you give us a little time to make this day your birthday in Christ? It could take just a few minutes. Or if it could take a little longer, if we need to, we'll take as much time as you need to explain it. How about Number two. Could today be the day you trust Jesus to be the way of sanctification? You come to the end of yourself in your Christian walk, in your Christian life, and you start trying to get out of the way and let Christ just identify with the dead Christ and love him and let him work that thing out through you and yield to the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you and just die to self every day? A great prayer warrior, George Mueller, said, There was a day when I died. Died to self, my opinions, my preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame, even of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. You see, your salvation happens once. Can you go back to that day? Your sanctification happens daily. Paul said, I die daily. So perhaps this could be a day of your salvation, or perhaps this could be another day you die to self and declare, not this is the way, but Jesus is the way. Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> With our heads bowed and our